0: Hey, thank you very much. So my son Elias is three and a half years old, and he's already a bit of a goofball like his dad. The other day, apparently, at school, he was on the top of the slide, and he was waving his hands around. And the teacher came running up and said, Elias, what's wrong? What are you doing? And Elias said, conducting my orchestra. <laughs> you know, my wife Cheryl and I, we couldn't imagine life without Elias now. But, you know, before we had kids, we really struggled with the decision whether we wanted to take the risk to have children or not. You know, I've got some friends who are pregnant now, and I like to tell them, oh, wait till you have children. You'll see how empty your life was before. Before you had kids, all you had was free time and disposable income. (laughs) Hey, and let me tell you, Cheryl and I, we liked our free time and our disposable income. We kind of had the worries that I think a lot of people have. What would happen to our careers? Would our marriage be able to hold up? Would I be a good dad? Would she be a good mom? Would I drop the baby? (laughs) Would the baby be healthy, right? Uh, It's an existential risk, I think, when we take, when we choose to have children. We put our whole life on the line. A friend of mine, Matt, he's an economist, and he said, having children is completely irrational. It makes you a hostage to fortune, right? When you have bad luck and you have kids, you're screwed, right? (laughs) Well, you know, at the end of the day, though, you know, free time and disposable income, they're not inherent goods, right? Uh, They don't alone make you happy. And Cheryl and I decided to take the risk and, and to have kids. And for us, it's worked out great. Elias, you know, as they say, is our pride and joy. But man, we went through some tough times getting there, though. During our pregnancy, Cheryl had what's called placenta privia. Now, for the guys in the audience, the placenta is the organ inside mommy's tummy that feeds the baby. (laughs) The concern with placenta privia is that you might have some bleeding episodes during the pregnancy. We had an appointment with our OB, and the way our OB put it was, you know, the placenta's got some blood vessels in it that are about as thick as your thumb, right? And if they were to go... uh, in the worst case scenario, you would hear the bleeding. It would be audible. We were like, "Yikes, message received. Take it easy, right?" And so I swear to God, I did not put her to work. We took it easy. We painted the baby 's nursery. We relaxed, go to bed that night, in the middle of the night, I hear Cheryl calling me. I get up, I run in the bathroom, and sure enough, she 's bleeding, right. And I'm in a panic. We're both panicking. Because we both have been concerned about this. We were fearing this. And then here it is. And I'm really panicking. And then I stop. And I listen. I go, wait a minute. I don't hear the bleeding. (laughs) This is not the worst case scenario. It's funny how a man's mind works, right? I needed to grab that sliver of a silver lining to move from panic mode to problem-solver mode, right? Got Cheryl down on the floor, covered her with a blanket, got the phone, called the paramedics, we're good to go. Until Cheryl says, whoa, if people are coming, I better get dressed. She hops up and starts putting a bra and her shirt and some pants on, and we walk upstairs, and I cover her with a blanket on the floor next to the front door, so it'll be easier for the paramedics to carry her to the ambulance. Right? She's a pretty tough woman, my wife, right? So, but in all seriousness, you know, we, we go to Providence and, uh, you know, and, and, it's, and it's, it's a very serious situation. She's only 22 weeks pregnant. And aside from her bleeding, premature delivery is the other possible problem. And at 22 weeks, as a lot of you guys know, you know, a lot of kids won't survive if they're born that early. So by the time we get to the hospital, her bleeding has stopped. and They're concerned about Elias, the baby. And so the first thing they do is they check for the heartbeat. And I'll tell you, any other time we had gotten the heartbeat checked, it was like boom, they were right on it. It was like, whoosh, do, 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 do. not this time. I don't know if it was like you know the nurse's first day on the job, or the machine was broken, or the speaker was broken. But it just went on and on and on. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. The first nurse gives up. She hands it to the second nurse. Whoosh. Well, I'll tell you. I'm sure it only took a few minutes, but to me it felt like hours. And after a couple minutes, I looked down because I didn't want Cheryl to see my face because I kn- I was starting to fear the worst. And I didn't want her to see the fear on my face. But then finally, just as I'm starting to panic again, you know that super fast heartbeat that kids have when they're that young, when they're still in the womb. And so we're like, oh, thank God. Okay, mom is stable. Elias is okay. But it's still going to be touch-and-go for a few days. This is a major medical problem. It's a major medical event. We're going to be in the hospital for a few days. And the rest of the pregnancy is real touch-and-go. But after a few hours, I decide, okay, I better go home and get our toothbrushes and some books and our computers and stuff like that. I stumble out of the hospital. It's about 4 in the morning now. And it's the coldest night of the year in the winter of 2009. And it's so cold that freezing fog has started to fall to the ground. You know, in freezing fog, you get, you know, the moisture in the air gets squeezed out by the cold and you get these incredibly large crystalline flakes that just float gently down to the ground. You know, and I got in the car and I turned the car on the headlights came up and they shined and they reflected off the freezing fog falling to the ground. I just sat there for like five or ten minutes and just watched the f- the flakes fall and they covered my car and all the cars in the parking lot. And there wasn't a sound at all in the world. You know, and for just that instant, I felt like everything in the world was the way it should be. Not that I thought that everything was going to turn out all right. I didn't know if it would or not. But it seemed to me at that moment that everything was a part of a kind of melody, a part of what Paul Oster calls a music of chance. And some of the notes are beautiful, and some of the notes are sour, but they all have to ultimately hang together. Of course, Matt the economist would say, pass the bong, man, I told you, you shouldn't have chosen to have kids. <laughs> Look at the risks that you took, the grief that you've exposed yourself to, right? You know, and I, and I, would, and I would love to say to Matt, well, hey, it, looked out, it worked out for me because Elias is a great kid and he's my pride and joy, but I think philosophically that would be kind of, kind of cheap and easy. I mean, I think... What I learned that night is at the end of the day, what makes us uniquely human is our willingness to take risk, our willingness to take our dreams and to take those chances to make our dreams real. I mean, if you think about it, risk is the way in which we create space in the present for the future to be born. All right. I'd have to admit to Matt that that night was the hardest night of my life. But on the other hand, as I sat in that car not knowing if things were going to be okay or not, I experienced one of the most pure and powerful moments of my life. And maybe that's what it's all about. Thank you.